With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. And uh, before we start today's episode, I want to give a few shout outs to a few things that will be happening um, soon or are happening. Um, of course, this is a broadcast brought to you by La Luz de Jesus Gallery uh, and Meltdown Comics and Collectibles. Also want to give a shout out to um, our friends, the Panic Collective. That's Panic with a K, P-A-N-I-K Collective, um, who uh, have an ongoing show at uh, a new gallery in Pasadena called uh, Gallery 30 South. On uh, their social media is Gallery, the number 3030 South, and uh, they are basically the new center of culture in Pasadena for uh, contemporary and uh, high concept art. So do yourself a favor and check those out. You can also tell them I said so. Um, and if you have any questions, you can send uh, any correspondences to info at pretty much all of those. So uh, info at Panic Collective, info at Gallery 30 South, info at La Luz de Jesus Gallery, and um, at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles, I think it's also info. So um, this week we're going to be speaking to a friend of mine, Catherine Brennick. And um, those of you who go to Comic-Con may be familiar with her. She's often got a table and sometimes an artist alley and sometimes um, deeper into the con. And I thought it'd be great to bring her on for a couple of reasons. Uh, Number one, she has a toy that's in solicitation right now from DC. Yeah. And um, also, I mean, you're always working on projects anyways. Yeah, I'm pretty much all over the board. Um, I mean, I work in three career disciplines. It's tattoo art, it's commercial art, it's also fine art. And so, I mean, when I started building a brand about 10 plus years ago and um, was thinking about how I needed to set up my life, it seemed... This must have been in middle school. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. And like, don't tell them how old you are. Um, (laughs) um, Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think I'm just... Once I got to know myself a little bit better, um, I realized pretty quickly that my brain just doesn't shut off. And Mm. so... uh, you know, when I got burnt out in one arena, I needed to switch over to something else because I couldn't sit still. That's the secret to success. Um, I think anybody who is too, I mean, it's hard to say that someone is too involved in something that they're into because I think that it's really important that you love what you do and that satisfaction will show through in the finished product. But it's good to have a positive distraction. And if you're working in multiple disciplines, um, you know, in a lot of cases with artists that I work with, it could be that, you know, they're into music or they're into um, painting. And sometimes they don't let those two things enjoy each other. They don't mm-hmm. use one platform to help the other platform. Mm-hmm. And I think that they do that for fear that combining the two gives them no escape. Yeah. You know, there there have been times where, you, I mean, you just, you hit that breaking point. Yeah. You know? um, I mean, I've... <laughs> I've had my fair share of meltdowns, no pun intended, where we are right now. Um, You know, and but I mean, those can still be fruitful as well. I think there's still kind of a a masochistic enjoyment that I derive from really pushing everything to its absolute limit. And it's, you know, there's that curiosity of like, well, how far can I go or Mm -hmm. how far is the human potential and what does that even mean? and that's that interests me, you know. It almost doesn't become about what I'm producing anymore, but it's well, it's like, well, how many can I do? Right. What does this mean? You know, I've I've always said, you know, um, and I was somebody who I was like, uh, I had five or six jobs at a time, mm-hmm. and this is just like jobs that pay the bills. This isn't necessarily endeavors that I enjoy. And so when I would have spare time, I would just work on the stuff that I really wanted to work on. And I've said, oh, you know, I'm calming down. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm. I'm in my mid forties now, and I don't have the energy that I had. And people are like, so what are you up to? And I'm like, well, I got this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I never did slow it down. It's all in my head. But um, you know, the the way that we came to know each other 
is that you had submitted for um, possible inclusion in one of our group shows at La Luz de Jesus, mm-hmm. and you had published a book. Mm-hmm. And um, and the book is actually really well made, and I know that um, soon after we started showing you, and this is not because of me, it's just the, in the timeline, to clarify the timeline, mm-hmm. that I think Arludic in France started carrying your book as well, and mm-hmm. a few other people were seeing you at Comic-Con, and hey, we'd like to distribute this. We'd like to have this. And so you kind of started to get a little bit more international. And then you completely changed your painting style. <laughs> I know. I was. Oh my god. I. I I'm notorious for this. Um. <laughs> and to clarify too, so the um, the work that we saw was um, it's comparable to James Jean in that there's a certain um, effervescence and there's a fantasy element to it, which you could also say could come out of something like Charles Vess mm-hmm. or even older um, fantasy illustration art, more children's art from the um, from a bygone era. But it's very contemporary and it's also darker in mm-hmm. a lot of ways and a little bit more abstract so that it's not quite as on the nose as uh, James Jean's work is. And there's nothing wrong with being on the nose. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's he's incredibly popular. His work is beautiful. He's transcended into fine art quite nicely. And um, and so your other projects that have that have come out of that have been um, similar to the tattoo flash stuff that you were doing. So there's a little bit more pointillism to it, which mm-hmm. is definitely coming out of that tattoo influence and body of work. Mm-hmm. And then there's also that the next book that you did, which is a little children's book, mm-hmm. which is very much pointillist. Yeah. So talk about the titles of these things and how people can get a hold of them. And then we're going to dive back into, you know, what, what inspired them. Okay. Well, um, well, starting with the first book that you brought up, it's the Sketchbooks, Volume One. Um, that was um, that was a collaboration with Alberto Ruiz. He's the um, he's the owner founder of Brand Studio Press, Trinket Publishing, and then he started a third division um, called Zapui. And uh, he and his wife had decided that they wanted to um, put together a collection of books that were not so heavily rooted in commercial art, but still had that um, academic edge. Mm-hmm. They wanted something a little bit, again, more um, conceptually abstract or surreal, if you will. Are they out of San Diego? No, they're uh, out of South America. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I haven't seen him at Comic-Con in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was this fluke thing. I mean, the guy's super punk rock. He, <laughs> he literally came up to my booth in like 2012, no contract, no nothing. And I mean, I'd, I'd been screwed over enough early on when I started trudging through, I mean, all these different, again, career paths um, to know like, where's my idea? Where's my yeah. work, dude? You know, <laughs> like. Non-disclosure agreement for the uneducated is an NDA. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still learning too. So we're on I didn't mean to say uneducated. I meant, I'm, you know, not, not yet informed. So. I, I'm, oh man, I'm, yeah, I'm still in like the, you know, legal side cliff notes Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, oh my God, Ugh, that's a whole other podcast in and of itself. Oh man, but um, yeah, he he pretty much gave me like an elevator pitch and was like, "Yeah, we'll do you know this many books. You get this percentage of the books to do whatever you want with. Mm-hmm. You can sell them. You can give them away. You can use them as furniture. I don't care. That's a good business model. Yeah, and he followed through. He, yeah. he followed through with everything. It was crazy getting the shipment too. Yeah. It's like huge. Like boxes of stuff, like a thousand pounds of stuff, paper. I, I still have boxes of things that you've published <laughs> over the years. Happily, less less of pop sequentialism than some of the others. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, actually, by the time this airs, it will have already happened. But um, I will have already done a. Uh, a lecture at Last Bookstore in downtown LA, mm-hmm. and hopefully I can say, and it went really well, but I don't know yet. <laughs> and um, but the that model is great because it takes the pressure off of financial off of a publisher. They don't have to pay a um, an upfront royalty fee. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to pay you know a setup fee necessarily. Oftentimes publishers will handle the assembly of the book and InDesign, but sometimes they'll let the artist do it. And that's what he did. Yeah. yeah he gave me carte plank with it. Um, then you know what it's going to look like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The only thing he changed was the cover, but not by much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. I was like, all right, that's better. You know what you're doing. You've been yeah. in this business for decades. So. And that's similar to what Bob Self has been doing at um, Baby Tattoo. And um, I know that we've I've worked with him on one book and with the person who put the book together. Actually, I've worked with a few people who've put up books through Bob now that I think about it. Karen Sow, uh, we were part of the Temple Art thing with Alan. And um, I think I've talked to quite a few people who've worked with him. And 
his thing was he can give you a setup fee to put the book together because mm-hmm. he would have to hire a graphic designer. Um, but then it is a split of books. It's a royalty split based on, on the amount of books that you get. And that's good for a publisher too because then the the onus is on selecting people who have an avenue to sell their own books. Because mm-hmm. ideally mm-hmm. you don't want to have somebody who, if you publish 2,000 books and they get 200 or 400 books, that 400 books sit in a closet forever. Yeah, no. So they, they want hard workers. They want someone who's going to go out and do conventions and hawk that stuff. And, and, and you're good at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I also absolutely hate clutter. Yeah. <laughs> I am... Oh, man, I am on board with the millennial, minimalist, yeah. small housing, all of it, all of it. Um, I, yeah, it was like, how quickly can I push this stuff out there? Who are the right people to get this in the hands to? I mean, it really it wasn't even about turning a profit at a certain point. It really became my walking portfolio. Like, yeah. hey, here's my stuff. This guy believed in it. How about you? you Everybody know? in the gaming end of the industry, people mm-hmm. who are, are working on whether they do storyboards or that type of illustration, all of them publish books like you did and they do it specifically as a handout. Mm -hmm. And they put a price on it because when you give somebody something that they flip around the back and it says it was 50 bucks, they're like, oh, this is pretty substantial. Mm -hmm. And if they don't want to work with you, a lot of people be like, oh, I can't take that. You know, like, and it's it's a good way of gauging, and um, and then they also have goods that they can sell. They can maybe make their money back um, for the cost of publishing it by being able to sell it. But it really is a gimme. It's it's something to get their name out there to get in front of the right art directors, and I know at least three guys that I spend a lot of time with every time I'm at at Comic Con, and you're talking about Autumn Turkel and Daniel Linderman and um, and Rob. What's Rob's last name? He's a teacher at Art Center. Rob Rupel, mm-hmm. and they've all every year will publish like a, um, either an ash can or a simple hardcover to have new work, but they're really just down there to make their deals for the next year. Mm-hmm. And now um, I think Autumn and um, Daniel are both working at the same company now, so they're no longer freelancers. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's still that schedule is great because then you know you have money coming in, and then when you do dedicate whatever free time you may have in that industry. I'm not sure there's a lot and I don't see these guys too often. So I'm, I'm betting that it's pretty hectic that they can dedicate to their private projects. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, that's something I don't think we've ever really talked about on this, on this show, which is kind of interesting because I've talked to several people that self published. I've talked to a lot of artists that are always trying to, um, you know, a lot of it's about that DIY aspect. Mm-hmm. But when you do produce books specifically for that purpose, um, Aside from the fact that it's something you can give your parents, hey, here's a real thing that I did, you know, and they flip it around <laughs> and there's a publisher's name on it, even if you made it up, you know, and they're like, oh, wow, you know, and it, it seems substantial. Maybe I didn't waste money on art school. Oh, God, right. You know, so there's that. But um, then you, you know, after having exhibitions and you, you produce the, the children's book and it's got this great little package. It's a, um, it's a soft cover. Um, what's it about? Four inches by four inches? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it comes in this nice little box, um, which is perfect packaging for that. Mm-hmm. And so you open up the box and take it out. Yeah. And with children's product, you have to have that extra level of tactileness. Mm-hmm. So if you're not doing a hardcover, you kind of have to do that, which is pretty smart. Well, and um, for the future, I do want to have a hardcover. Um, mm-hmm. The the packaging of Someday Mouse um, was this just serendipitous accident and um, I knew I had wanted the dimensions of the book to be small like mm-hmm. something a little child could hold or somebody somebody could you know keep in their purse or pocket and then paper size becomes the factor yes well exactly yep. <laughs> and I um, I really went down the um, small business DIY route this time and um, there's actually a you know mom and pop printer in my neighborhood mm-hmm. and they were nice enough to you know, break it down. They're like, well, if you want to you know, pay for 11 by 17 sheets of paper prints, black and white, like you can put as many book pieces as you want on this. And mm-hmm. know, you know, knowing enough about graphic design, which was originally what I had started in after graduating mm-hmm. from college, I was like, oh, sweet, I can totally maximize this. Yeah. So that helped cut the cost a lot. Um, and, you know, they do a great job. And I've been printing with them ever since for all the um, 
for all the revised editions and the, you know, the handwritten, you know, uh, what, 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 what's also included in the package. There's actually a certificate of authenticity included mm-hmm. with each one of them, and I have my seal stamped on those, and each one is signed and numbered. And so as long as that keeps going, I'll probably continue working with this mom-and-pop printer. They're great, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a firm believer in investing back in your neighborhood uh, any way you can. I know you can't always do it. Mm-hmm. It's really hard right now, um, given the system we're all kind of been put in. Um, however, I think they're... If you do just a little bit of sleuthing, you can find something that you can contribute back to. That rewards procrastination. Dude, tell, no, but that was how it happened. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, it was like, oh my God, I need these printed in a week. I can't go to China. Like, yeah. And like down the street, like next to this awesome Korean barbecue yeah. place and a laundromat, there's this like, you know, Mira Mesa copy print. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Yes, like, pop sequentialism was made in the USA. Not because I <laughs> wanted to necessarily, but because I had a deadline. Yeah. Right? And I had to do it locally. And mm-hmm. I was able to get a turn, like a four day turnaround on, on like 1500 books. And the first round was, was they used the wrong file for the cover. <sighs> so I was like, well, take these back. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. And, and they gave me the new ones. And, um, but yeah, it's, it made it a much more expensive proposition. I, you know, I make no money off of those at all, mm-hmm. but the, um, but it was, it's my calling card, you know, it, it's, it led in a weird way to this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. and to people taking seriously the idea of, you know, comic book art exhibitions, because there had been exhibitions of comic art. Mm-hmm. There hadn't been one that was what I did, which was to put together a survey show of modern comic art. And for it to not be around a single character or about a single artist, you know, that collaborative thing. So breaking that new ground is great, but if you don't publish something, it's almost like it didn't exist. Mm. And having written 80 pages of explanations, I'm like, I'm publishing a book. <laughs> you know, This is not just going on a website. This is way too much work. This is not me talking to myself in the shower. Yeah, right? <laughs> this, this is not me doing, you know, the, the fake interview with um, inside the actor's studio <laughs> while yeah. I wash conditioner out of my hair. I love doing that. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> yes. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. Or Bill Moyer interviews. I love to fantasize about those. Yes. Yes. <laughs> We'll see now the um, and the other thing, and I think that, that that clarifies why almost all zines you see are five and a half inches by eight and a half inches, and it's mm-hmm. because it's one one sheet of eight and a half by eleven paper folded in half, mm-hmm. and so then it used to be this hard layout where you would have to figure out what page was going to go on which page when you assembled it, and then you'd go to you know Kinko's and you'd print out page after page. Now you can just send those files in InDesign, and the the printers are adept enough to figure out how it goes together. No kidding. I love that now. But then that's also now probably why you see the smaller ones. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're doing two per sheet. So it's going to be, you know, instead of it being necessarily um, an eight and a half by 11 folded in half, it could be folded in threes and split three times, which is like the size of religious pamphlets, if you've ever noticed. Yes. So, you know, not because they really care, but because it's cheap, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh, man, I remember. Oh, man, that was a really creepy memory. When I was living in Santa Cruz, I was um, getting a prescription at like a CVS or something mm-hmm. like that. And this um, this lovely elderly woman just like kind of just this like drive by, walk by and handed me this card with like hearse advertising on the back of it yeah and then I, i'm pretty sure the front was like you know jesus christ is our savior something 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 wow oh my god yeah and i'm just like i'm like what the fuck like <laughs> what was in the back of it it was so like a hertz rent-a-car hearse no hearse like hearse it like for oh, your coffin. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And but and she didn't even look me in the eye. It was just like she was just shuffling her feet slowly. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a line of people and she just shuffles in front of me. Like, you know, kind of gives like side glance to the ground. Like, I'm, I'm giving this to you and like sticks her hand out. And then I just grab this like business card and I'm like what are you trying to say like mm-hmm. am I am I evil for picking up birth control right now or what is going on did she know you were picking up yeah. birth control yeah I'm like no. is it written all over my face that I'm a whore <laughs> like <laughs> slut shaming at the Santa Cruz CVS pretty much wow yeah so the um as we digress uh, yeah you know, going so- from religious pamphlets <laughs> religious pamphlets onto that but the um so now as a result of, you know, you've been at San Diego every year since, at Comic-Con. I think 2010. 2010. Mm-hmm. So 
they were in 2017. This will be your seventh year. Yeah. And so the um, the, I used to go down every year. And I used to go down every year when you could just drive down and drive back because the traffic wasn't so bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be L.A. to San San Diego and back every day. And you could park underneath the the convention center for like five or ten dollars. And that changed, you know, (laughs) a while back. (laughs) And it sort of but that also coincided with um, a certain amount of. There was a swap out. There was a grand swap out mm-hmm. that it went from being a comic convention that had a lot of um, other elements to it, other other booths, mm-hmm. to being something else that had a handful of comic related booths. Mm-hmm. And I guess it was that that video game swap. It was also part of the Hollywood swap. And there was also a kind of disenfranchisement that happened to people who used to like going to the old show. Mm-hmm. And so right around, oh, I want to say it 2000. Was the, it was when the Pokemon came in. I'm telling you. Was that when it happened? Yeah. Yeah. That was when you saw the biggest shift. Um, I mean, I'd been going to Comic-Con since I was a kid with yeah. my dad and it was the same like pff, yeah. 25 bucks 12 year old kid we'd just drive yeah. up park a block away from the convention yep. center walk right in midday no yeah. big deal and um yeah it was it was when more Japanese comic books st- started coming in and more international stuff yeah. and but it was really the Pokemon because that was a Saturday morning cartoon every kid was like oh my god Pokemon and right. then when kids found out that they could get these, you know, different kinds of toys that they couldn't get at Toys R Us or Target or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it was like, we have to go here, mom and dad. And yeah. that's when they were like, oh, parents and money. Yeah. And we could do something more with this. And then I think, you know, the video game stuff had been going on right around that time. But I want to say Pokemon was like the tipping point. Like Makes that pushed sense. it over. Yeah. Right around 98, um, I remember, was when Japanese companies started to set up booths, yeah. you know, at Comic-Con. And and this is interesting, too, because this... This means that the convention made a conscious decision mm-hmm. while they were raising vendor rent mm-hmm. to take mm-hmm. money away from vendors for themselves, mm-hmm. like to market sort of a product directly to the consumer by raising the ticket price, mm-hmm. which automatically takes money away from vendors. If I have to spend $10 to get into a convention and I've got 100 bucks, that means there's 90 bucks mm-hmm. foreseeably for very expensive food that the convention center sells, which the convention doesn't get any a dime from, mm-hmm. and um, which is why they have weird rules about whether you can bring food in. Mm-hmm. And then there's somewhere between that food money and that admission, the money you get to spend on stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're pushing up the price on the ticket by three times what it was, mm-hmm. so instead of $10, it's $30. And if the people who are vendors are now spending twice what they had to pay to make one, you know, they're losing two thirds of the expendable income by comparison, mm-hmm. then that's a major, major problem. And that's why vendors constantly complain and why Decon has become so popular in Pasadena because the admission is cheap, the um, the table rates are, are very manageable. Mm-hmm. And while this year had the unfortunate um, coincidence of coming after an election <laughs> um, that pretty much blew the wind out of everybody's sales and the collectible part of the, the business, oh, wow. um, people still tended to do well. and. That says something, you know, that there, there's a promoter that cares about that. Now, San Diego is kind of the convention is starting to go through, I think, a reconfigure mm. where they're going to have to decide because a lot of the entertainment companies are like, we don't need you anymore. So, you know, so like the big movie studios that used to spend a fortune on booth space and why people who weren't on the waiting list for booths can finally get booths is because companies that were taking up, you know, city block sized portions mm-hmm. of that convention center are no longer doing it because they, they feel like we're getting that crowd automatically. We're looking at the numbers of people who read comic books and they're really low and we're getting the rest of the public. So we don't really need to promote here. That's like preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. We're going to spend our money trying to get that female movie viewer in the back pages of Teen Vogue. You know, you're going to see ads for, you know, the next Thor movie in magazines aimed at, um, at young women. And they're going to try, you know, they've done a really good job, I think, at Marvel of creating that empowered female character in their films, if not so much back in the comics. Mm -hmm. Um, But DC's also been doing that. Mm -hmm. And you've been, you were called into a couple of projects with with DC, DC special products. Mm -hmm. And tell me how that happened and tell me what these are. 
<clears throat> oh man. Um, so I've been working primarily with the DC collectibles toy department. Um, I pretty much answer to Sean Knapp, who is an incredible visionary and a very patient and excellent director to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which is rare. Um, he is a, uh, man, he's, he's the biggest cheerleader for artists. He's like, I want to give you all the space that you need. I'm choosing you because I like your work and I like your vision mm -hmm. you know he's not overbearing in the least bit and um i had originally met sean and a few others from um dc jim fletcher kevin Kinneary. um i met them at WonderCon mm -hmm. one year and um and we all kind of hit it off i mean they they literally saw the original big ballpoint pen illustrations that came out of that book sketchbooks volume one they yep. were looking through them and they're like who are you like what are you doing here um, what, what's your deal and yeah. <laughs> I was like oh my god I don't know um, <laughs> um, and I mean at that time I was you know still a graphic designer I was I wanted to transition into film I want to transition into more comic book and sequential work and um, you know it was the first time someone was really curious about what my plans were and I said well I'm figuring it out I, I didn't go to art school I didn't go to art center I didn't go to anything over here I went to a traditional four-year and studied you know old world printmaking yeah. <laughs> I printed off of stones yep. <laughs> and copper plates um, which was amazing I would wouldn't trade trade that time for the world um, built me into who I am today um, but you know that um, from that point um, we you know we just kept running to each other at conventions and um, I noticed that um, Sean Sean was so interested in the work. He's like, we got to figure out a way to use this. And when he put together his brainchild, the it was a Gotham City Garage um, series. He he wanted to put together um, exactly that, like a series of um, toys, or at least a concept that would exalt the powerful female. Mm -hmm. He's like, I've always been into this. I I like this character in comic books. I want to bring that side out in our you know, roster of characters that we have. And we started with Harley Quinn, mm -hmm. which I, who's a character whose background story I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been kind of a villain fan and Harley Quinn just really took the cake for me because you had this intelligent um, psychologist. The lovable sociopath. Dude, right? <laughs> and well, yeah, who falls in love with an even bigger sociopath narcissist yeah. well, psychopath yes. oh yeah yeah I which mean, is a perfect place for us to take our first break yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to take a, um, a break here to hear from one of our sponsors want to remind advertisers that you too can reach this prime demographic by contacting us at um on on facebook at uh the regular pop sequentialism page um a pod sequentialism page i should say so we're at podsec p-o-d-s-e-q on instagram and twitter and um, at Pod Sequentialism, we'll, we'll pull up any of those and Facebook. So um, we'll be right back after a moment with uh, to continue this amazing conversation with Catherine Brennick. Okay. And, Quinn too. and we'll be back. Woo! <clears throat> I'll wait for you to open and close the door, and then we'll get back into it. Okay. And then you want me to come back or no? Yeah, come, uh, come back in 20. Okay. Cool. Hello and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy, and I have with me today Catherine Brannick. And we were just starting to talk about the um, the DC um, specialty toy line and um, and Harley Quinn. Mm -hmm. And actually, Harley Quinn's getting uh, her own feature film, um, being the breakout star of Suicide Squadron. Mm -hmm. So um, that makes the collectability of that item go up the demand and I think it sold out at solicitation anyways yeah I think there were two versions there was um there was one where it was just Harley on her um on her motorcycle solo and then there was a second edition where she had her two hyenas in a sidecar it looks mm -hmm. brilliant um, mm -hmm. and I think that one sold out of course um and so your work on that is that you designed the tattoos mm -hmm. for the figures mm -hmm. and those got um got painted onto the um the sculpted um figurines yes are they posable no right I don't know. I mean, they sent me one, <laughs> but I'm also one of those people that's like, don't take it out of the box. Out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just let it collect dust and then we'll figure out what to do with it in like, I don't know, 20 years if I'm still around. <laughs> Dude. Um, yeah. That's, that's a whole other world I can't wrap my head around yet. I've got so many other things going on. But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, starting with Harley Quinn was fun. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm a huge researcher when it comes to doing commercial work. And um and especially since these aren't my characters, um, I try to do what I can to put myself into the frame of mind 
for um, really what kind of tattoo client would she be? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in my experience um, working in the tattoo industry, I mean, there's so many different uh, avenues with which you could approach a tattoo. I mean, it could just be like, hey, I'm drunk and I want a pineapple on my ass, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, I love that. <laughs> or, you know, you can come at it where I need to find my shaman tattoo artist because this is my rite of passage and I've been thinking about this for 25 years and mm-hmm. now I finally have the money and the balls to do it. Fuck yeah. yeah. I don't, you know, I, to me, I don't see a difference between the two. They're, they're just as impactful. Um, you know, you're going to look back at that pineapple and be like, I loved those people I was with that night. That was an amazing memory. I remember everything. It's a milestone. Mm-hmm. And then when you do, you know, some massive body transformation, that's, you know, that's equally, I mean, life changing. Mm-hmm. I, and also, you know, Marker, I mean, with my own work that I've had over the years, um, it's really been just this ongoing journal that I keep on my body. And I look at every piece that I've added and I know where I was. I knew what I was thinking and I, I knew I know what I was going through and it you know it's um it's an achievement you know but you're like me too in that most people that meet you probably have no idea that you have tattoos yeah yeah um, and that they're extensive mm-hmm. and like I'm the same way people like if I have my collar undone a little bit and they can see a little bit of the mm-hmm. chest piece poking out they'd mm-hmm. be like is that a tattoo <laughs> and like I'm like oh yeah I forget I have a ton of tattoos yeah right right well I mean when I started getting tattooed it, it wasn't like, it, it, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but I'm like, it's for me. You know, yeah. it, it's it's a cliche. Th- it's a cliche thing in the industry where <laughs> girls get upside down tattoos on their wrists and we're like, we'll tell them like, hey, that's upside down. Yeah. And they're like, but it's for me. And every single time that's the argument. It's for me. And I, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, um, I get it. And now it's just part of it. But um, I'm part of that. I'm part of it too. You know, I, I didn't get tattooed to, uh, you know, just talk about it with anybody. It really is. They are all very personal and my, you know, well now whoever's listening to this knows, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, you can't see them. Um, (laughs) um, but you know, they're very intimate. They are my body Mm -hmm. and they're on my body. Um, and, and I like being able to preserve my anonymity. I mean, there's, I mean, we forget in California, how progressive it is out here and I'm so happy to be here because mm-hmm. of that but I mean you go anywhere else I mean God I mean sorry to bring up like death and funerals <laughs> but I was at a funeral mm-hmm. you know not too long ago with family and I just thought like oh my God thank God I can cover these up yeah. because I would give someone else a heart attack here you yeah. know and and it's you know people that you know your baby boomers who are like you know prostitutes prison inmates and the bottom barrel of the navy get tattooed and i was told in the 90s by several very prominent tattooists that their biggest advertisement was the tv show cops no way that people saw stuff <laughs> on cops and would come and want to get tattooed like mm-hmm. in and among like a lot of it was shot in la and so you had a lot of like the kind of fancy gang tattoos mm-hmm. and um and they said that that was like the the biggest uh, generator of new tattoos in mm-hmm. the business was the mm-hmm. tv show cops and they were like, an MTV is a distant second, you know, because uh, Guns N' Roses were starting to yeah. kind of happen in the late yeah. 80s and early 90s, too. Yeah. No, there's there's definitely the the celebrity tattoo fandom. I mean, mm-hmm. I had I worked on a guy the other day, this, you know, this, probably like 20-some. I'm a horrible judge of age, but I'm assuming he was like in his early 20s. And he's just like, yeah, you know, Justin Bieber, and I like his placement here. And he didn't get like a, an exact Bieber tattoo, but he was like, I want it in the same spot. I like how that looks. And mm-hmm. so that's becoming our advertising as well. I mean, so, I mean, got it. A friend of mine, too. <laughs> a friend of mine, I think he was, oh man, I think it was kind of in the late 90s. He was doing, oh man, I'm totally blanking right now on the guy's name. Um, oh, Jack Sparrow, that guy. Johnny Depp. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'm so bad at that. <laughs> Johnny Depp. So yeah, dude wanted all Johnny Depp tattoos, you know, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that, whatever. Like I mean, copies of Johnny Depp's tattoos? So did he get no, the Winona he, forever? He, oh, I, you know what? I didn't ask him. That's smart. I don't know anything about Johnny Depp. The only thing that I'm like, that sticks in my mind with Johnny Depp is his um, when he was in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and also What's Eating Gilbert Grape those are my two favorite movies like period and then he happens to be in them and I liked how oh wait Edward Scissorhands too can't forget that one. Oh yep. my god I can't believe it a lot of airbrushing going on in these movies oh man so good so good I just watched Edward Scissorhands like they were playing it at the Kent Theater down in San Diego like one of those midnight matinees and mm-hmm. I was like oh my god I haven't seen this since I was a kid and yeah. like go and 
all the same emotions just pour out and I'm like, oh, you're just a genius, Tim Burton. <laughs> so good. And we have a Tim Burton original painting on the walls right now at La Luz de Jesus <gasps> yeah, in the cartoons show. Be still my heart. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I digress. So tattoos, Harley Quinn. Yeah. Client. Yeah. Who is Harley Quinn as a client? That was the fun part. So getting back into her background story, um, you know, she... Something tells me she never paid. Someone did the work and got a baseball bat in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Or like... <laughs> I, or she did him herself. Or like she shoved some kind of weird pill up her ass and when she farted, you passed out. You know, <laughs> like I, you, you guys should totally... That would be put, Poison Ivy. Oh, okay. Okay. You yeah. guys should put that in the next movie if you're listening, director, people... Okay, we have all the ideas here on pop sequentialism, okay? Because that won't be going into the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> and that, and the Wonder Woman toys that are in solicitation right now also right. have tattoos that you designed on them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so I guess I'm getting kind of like caught up in details because that's my thing that I do. I mm-hmm. have to really reel it in. Um, but, you know, designing the tattoos for them, I looked at their background story. I looked at Wonder Woman. I looked at a Harley Quinn and I was like, who are these people? Like strip Mm -hmm. away all the, you know, the villainry or um, the, you know, the superhero parts. And, you know, who's the humble human? Like, who are they really? Like these, you know, to me, I think there's a lot of power and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I think a man can be vulnerable and I think a woman can be vulnerable. And there's a lot of power in that, especially when you're in a relationship and you're making an exchange. I am not a doctor. The person who cries (laughs) first gets whatever they want. Dude. (laughs) Oh, my God. Why didn't I do that? Yep. Okay. You uh, learned it here. <laughs> you learned it here first from Popsicleculism, everybody. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. It was fun. It was, you know, if, if this person walked in the door and I had no idea about their background and they started telling me about who they were, mm-hmm. you know, I just thought, like, what would be a, a tattoo for Wonder Woman just for Wonder Woman? Because it's not about, like, oh, by the way, guys, I'm Wonder Woman, and here's my official tattoo. Yeah, it's let me like, flex so you can see yeah. the other side of my bicep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's like all, you know, they all have such rich histories. And then, you know, with Wonder Woman especially, there's so much Greek mythology that was influenced yeah. in a lot of her writing and her background story. And I absolutely love that. I grew up on mythology, I mean, Egyptian, Greek I mean, everything, oh gosh, across the world, really. And um, also Grimm's fairy tales are my favorites. And so being able to kind of pull back on that and, um, you know, with Wonder Woman's tattoos, there's a, there's a um, an, kind of an abstract owl on there because there's, you know, relation to with the goddess Athena. Yeah which I absolutely love, um, you know, again, more with the female empowerment. And, you know, and then also there's this there's this little offshoot um, of uh, Wonder Woman that not a lot of people know about, but in the, I think it was in the 1960s, um, that uh, she lost all of her powers and opened up a mod boutique. Yeah, there's, there's a weird period in... Dude. And who was... At DC Comics, it was... Um, God, I, was it Mort? There was... Um, the person who had kind of pioneered, you know, the Jimmy Olsen weird stories mm-hmm. in um, mm-hmm. in you know, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, and those the Lois Lane stories. Wonder Woman was out of costume, and she was yeah. wearing like a purple raincoat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was like this awesome purple mod, yeah, like two piece ensemble, and I, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I'm like, oh my god, why don't I know about this? Yeah. And then she, it was like almost like this kind of like beginnings of the Karate Kid thing because she yeah. took on this kung fu mentor. I Ching mm-hmm. and um, and I, I read the I Ching like one of the first translations and um, it's been a hugely influential uh, excuse me influential philosophy in a lot of my writing and mm-hmm. just how I like just approach things and it really is the building block of Eastern philosophy it's brilliant mm-hmm. I mean if you want to understand our neighbors um, and better understand Man in the High Castle season yeah. two on Netflix now hey hey <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry on Amazon Prime <laughs> That, that was like the worst type of advertisement. <laughs> it's actually on Amazon Prime. Yeah, then I'm like, read a book, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm so lonely. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I started kind of doing the little like inner workings, dusting off the, uh, you know, cogs in my brain. And I'm like, gosh, I wonder if this was DC's way of kind of pulling in Eastern influence. And, um, and so on her tattoo, there's the endless knot mm-hmm. and the endless knot is a symbol um, to it. It's a I mean, there's so many different explanations, but the one that stuck with me the most was how 
yeah, there was wisdom. There was this um, interweaving of wisdom. And obviously there's, you know, there's um, purity and enlightenment and things of this nature and transcendence. And you want to like clear yourself of all whatever cobwebs and junk um, you don't need. You burn it away. But the endless knot was, um, is um, partially a symbol to explain um, visually this inner I mean, yeah, really this, this inner journey that we're all going through. And, and I thought, you know, for that time in Wonder Woman's quote unquote life, Mm -hmm. you know, losing all of her power, really being stripped away with what was her identity and then having to find it once again, Mm -hmm. that was, to me, that was brilliant. And that's, that's the thing that I love about DC and the writers from, you know, the golden era in the golden age. I mean, that section wasn't from the golden age. That's bronze age. Yeah. But the the interesting thing about that is that there's a lot of reprints of the Wonder Woman in sensational comics, like the early stuff. Love it. You know, and that stuff is very, very rooted in Freudian psychology and, you know, the bondage and the whip and the tell the truth. Um, That guy also, he developed. (laughs) So the the creator of Wonder Woman developed the lie detector. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. he sold that technology to L. Ron Hubbard mm-hmm. for the E-meter. So anybody who's watching um, on A&E, the very interesting television show about Leah Remini um, crusading against um, some of the bad elements of her former theology, that um, there's a lot of ancillary weirdness. You know, mm-hmm. I live in Pasadena, which is kind of where where in a weird way where Scientology started, but it's also where the Theosophical Society started. It's also where the Golden Dawn's American branch was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's where, you know, JPL and Jack Parsons, the rocket program starts. So the nuclear program starts in Pasadena. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> I might be thinking Los Feliz, but uh, Matt Gleason was telling me about how the, I think there's like a psychic center. Yeah, that's, that's actually okay. right around the corner. I pass by it every day <laughs> on my way in and out of work. <laughs> Um, from the Lou. So it's it's in the corner of Griffith Park Griffith Park Avenue and Los Feliz Boulevard. Okay. And it's a like a accredited university that only deals in um in theology and philosophies. And I'm yet to go in there. I'm I'm like I'm like, oh, I've got I've got an extra hour. I could totally go in there mm-hmm. right now and I'm like, can you even do that? I don't know. <laughs> But the um the Fuller Seminary is right in Pasadena. It's right in the heart of things. And it's like two entire city blocks. And on one side of it, you've got a Scottish Rites Temple for the Masons. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, there's hundreds of churches in Pasadena on side streets. It's the weirdest thing. But um, that whole area just has this kind of weird, um, you know, without getting too metaphysical here, but this really kind of odd feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's not bad. Mm-mm. It's just like a really interesting feeling. Yeah, you know, my my grandparents and I had an uncle and an aunt that lived in Pasadena mm-hmm. right off of uh, Rosemead. And they were kind of mm-hmm. more in the like, Temple City area. Sure. And, you know, I mean, as a kid, everything is so much more palpable, mm-hmm. you know, like a season. You, I mean, you can feel a season. And yeah. I mean, in, God, in Southern California, we it's have like... dry heat on Rosemead. You know, well, and we have like <laughs> one and a half seasons here, maybe, if yeah. we're lucky. Um, you know, global warming aside, ugh. Um but, you know, being in that area, I'm I'm so glad that you mentioned that because now I'm like, well, maybe I wasn't that weird of a kid. I mean, I can own that I was a weird kid, mm-hmm. but <laughs> but maybe I wasn't the only one who was sensing this. I do remember that. I remember like driving around, like sometimes we'd kind of get out of the house. Um, you know, my sister and I, and she'd drive me around. She's, um, oh man, she's amazing. Um, and I just see all this beautiful architecture and all these churches. And I mean, I grew up Roman Catholic, so I mean, it's as did I. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of have like a homing device for that kind of thing, whether you're looking for it or not. You're like, Oh, look church. That's a fancy church. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) And then, um, well, Rosemead is also, or sorry, Temple City is like the wedding capital of America. They're like Wedding City USA. They have this public gazebo that Whoa. there are weddings almost every single day of the year at because you don't have to pay to use it, I guess. Crazy. And um, and if you look, there's also hundreds of wedding photography shops and that fits with the demographic that lived there. Mm-hmm. And so there was there's a, a very large Asian population in San Gabriel Valley mm-hmm. and there were a lot of Asian photography studios that were born out of the second and third wave immigration in the 1970s, but also that um, most of the really good cameras were from Japan. Mm-hmm. And if you came from Asia, you had access to cheaper import taxes on those types of devices. And so transistor radios, better cameras, good lenses. Um, and then when Japanese manufacturing started to kind of overtake American manufacturing and making better stuff cheaper, mm-hmm. that 
California is really like the center of that. Mm-hmm. Like you look up and down San Francisco, tons of great America. You know, if you collect that type of thing, that whole area is filled with it. And I mean, all the pawn shops and like secondhand retail stores in the San Gabriel Valley have these. Like if you collect cameras, that's where you need to shop. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's it's great because it's still not Los Angeles, so they haven't gotten the crazy price jacking that goes on. Like, yeah. no one throws anything away in LA. If you're an assemblage artist, you have the most challenging job in the world. If you live in Southern <laughs> California, because nobody throws anything away, dude. Oh my god, don't even get me started. You got to go that. to like the middle of the country, and I know mm-hmm. people that do. They routinely go on these these journeys where they they grab like a U-Haul truck mm-hmm. and they'll drive it from. California, through New Mexico, into Texas. They'll go to Tennessee, back up toward Chicago, and then they'll go through the northern routes. Then they'll go, you know, up towards Detroit and then across, you know, the Dakotas and Montana and then back down through like Portland and stuff to come all the way back to uh, to LA. And they'll have a truck full of just cool stuff that they can work with and frames, mm-hmm. cheap antique frames. But I digress. No, yeah. I'm, I thought I was notorious for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. But Pasadena is like that. And, you know, the, um, and I mean, San Diego is kind of odd like that, though, too. Like, San Diego is sort of like this kind of wharf town, like, like Gloucester, Massachusetts, that mm-hmm. kind of ballooned because it's right next to an international border, as is actually. Gloucester's not right next to one, but it is a big center for mm-hmm. fishermen that were coming down from Canada and from the from Newfoundland and people who were fishing out in the area between the the northeastern United States and the um the northwestern parts of Europe mm-hmm. and, you know, large collections of, of fish up there because it's so cold. Mm-hmm. And um, and San Diego is, is oddly like that. You've got Mexico uh, not too far away on the other side of the border. Mm-hmm. And you've got um, this continuation of surf culture that comes down from um, Southern California all the way down to the border. Yeah, well, all the way to the tip of Baja. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and then we've got... International airport. We've got four prominent military bases. We've yeah. got tons of colleges, private, state colleges, mm-hmm. you name it. And one of the best architectural schools in the country. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, I mean, and tourism, period. Yeah. I mean, we are recycling through people. There's constantly. the zoo and the the um, aquarium, which we won't talk about, or the SeaWorld. Oh, yeah, no. That's got to go away. But it was definitely a tourist destination for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, God, I have memories as a kid. Um, I saw a whale eat a pelican at SeaWorld. <laughs> Out of spite. <laughs> it was trying to steal the fish. The pelican was Dude. trying to steal the whale's fish, and, a, and an orca just came up and grabbed that pelican. And it went down, and then you just saw feathers trip to the surface. <laughs> and children were crying, and oh I was laughing. God. I was absolutely laughing. Oh, is it time for a break? No, no, we can continue. We've got we get as much time as we want. Oh, cool. All right. But the um, because so, so many SeaWorld memories. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about my career and stuff. Let's talk about that. Well, you, you're still commuting a lot, so you oh, yeah. you work a lot in LA, mm-hmm. but you live in San Diego. Yes, and um, and you work at a couple of different tattoo shops as well. I do, I do. Um, right now, I primarily work at Flying Panther Tattoo, mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful spot. Um, been around for ten years. Rob Benefitas is the owner. He's internationally known. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible, incredible man. I can't. Uh, thank my stars enough for um, having someone like that in my life. Um, another incredible artist over there. You've got Micah Cottle. Mm-hmm. Both he and Rob have like well over twenty years of experience in their field, and they've just they've been at it at the beginning. And I mean, gosh, um, I'm gonna just gush, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna let my emotions just take over right now and just relish <laughs> in the in the love that I have for these individuals. Um, also, you know, coming out of there, you've got Susan Kidder, another incredible woman, someone to look up to. She's in Hawaii right now. I think she's actually working at... Um, Hardy? Um, she uh, Sailor Jerry's okay. shop. Um, Donette Hardy's up over at um, Tattoo City in San Francisco, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, another wonderful man. Rob's actually good friends with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually just sent Don a Someday Mouse book. I met him, uh, you know, a couple months back at the SFO convention, um, and it's an invite only. It's a wonderful, wonderful convention. I mean, it's amazing. You get all these international artists coming in all the way from, you know, Japan and 
Europe, Russia, everything. Um, it's wonderful to just kind of walk into the small, intimate convention. You hear all these different languages chattering about. And um, Rob introduced me to Dawn um, when we went over to his shop. Um, we had some downtime before the convention. And um, I gave him a Someday Mouse book. And he sent me an email later, like, can I get, like, eight more of these? And uh, he's like, how much? And I'm like, you will pay me nothing, sir. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to just try and say this as kindly as possible. He's like, you know, it was just so adorable because he's like, no, no, I, I really believe in, like, paying artists. Like, you yeah. don't have to give me a handout. And he I'm like, curated shows with us back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And, y'all, you know, and um, God, yeah. And, I mean... Ugh. Yeah, I got my, I'm going to do the gushing thing again. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, man. Um, oh, man, the brilliance of that guy. I, I mean, I had to, like, admit to him in an email at one point, like, do you know how much of your work I've referenced, mm-hmm. sir? Like, how much money I've made learning from you? Like, so I, for those who don't know, Don Ed Hardy, um, who is the man whose name appears on the Ed Hardy clothing label, uh, yeah. which was actually started by uh, Christian Adige, mm-hmm. and there's a major lawsuit, I believe, mm-hmm. between Mr. Hardy and yeah. uh, Adige's company, um, that he was the person most responsible for mainstreaming the popularity of classic tattoo flash. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember in the early nineties when he was dropping off like, um, fake tattoo transfers mm-hmm. that we would carry at the gallery and you couldn't get them anywhere else. I mean, there was like the stuff that you could get out of a Cracker Jack box. Mm-hmm. And then there were like these large, authentic, you know, sailor Jerry type stuff that Ed had reworked. And he had been publishing Tattoo Time, and he yeah. had been, you know, um, he had brought on Leo Silueta, you mm-hmm. know, as, mm-hmm. as and Rick Spellman. Yeah. You know, people who were- um, Also are, good friends with Bob Roberts, who's yep. over at Spotlight, just yep. oh, just around the corner from here. That's an, actually the other spot that I work at when I am in LA. And Charlie's running that, right? Yeah. 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 He still is. A, I mean, Bob comes in every once in a while. Um, but yeah, he pretty much is the face of that right now. And yeah. he, he does so much international traveling to like, you know, keep faces really like- a historical landmark yeah. for tattooing in California. Like I got my chest piece one. at Spotlight from no from an Italian uh, artist who was in town at the time. Killer. And I was like, oh my god, I can't believe he's going to be in town, you know, mm-hmm. and was able to book mm-hmm. book the work. And he was fast, which was amazing because I was used to. I have no complaints. I love Steve Kidwiler, a really good friend of mine. Um, I I got used to like fourteen hour marathon sessions yeah. on on tattoos. Yeah, yeah. I started recently um, working on a project that's all single needle, single mm-hmm. needle dot mandala and it's about eight inches in diameter and we're hitting like the gosh like 20 plus hour mark um oh. on my client um but i mean she loves it i mean yeah. and, and and fortunately with the you know the single needle dot work i mean it's practically painless you actually get a little bit more discomfort or rawness after about the three hour mark from wiping and yeah that's always the pain is the yeah, wipe. yeah. shading and wiping are mm. like you know that's the brutality of it <laughs> but um <laughs> I would just stare at the thermometer on the wall and make it change colors in my head. Mm-hmm. But um, you gotta go to your happy place. Yeah, my inner mansion. <laughs> so the um, so after I mean you, we, we're covering a lot of ground because you, you've obviously you're still tattooing and, and people can contact you I would imagine for yeah. custom work. Mm-hmm. And um, so what what's some some social media so ways people can get a hold of you? Um, you know, uh, probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, I. Uh, Instagram. I've been a little, been a little quiet last couple of months, um, just because um, been really reconfiguring where I need to put my energy. I am going to get back into like heavy, um, you know, like advertising and marketing on. Uh, you know, Instagram again. And what I mean by that is engaging you know, more. Yeah. Th- those, those weren't the right words. Yeah. It's more yeah. like, I guess it's that like immediacy blog, you could say. I mean, I was doing a blog for a while, but then again, I'm just like, oh, wow, I've got like 10,000 projects. I actually need to work on yeah. drawing rather than writing right now. Well, um, one other thing before you shout out the the actual um, call letters and everything, mm-hmm. the um, one interesting thing about artists specifically is it's more difficult to have a kind of tell-all blog or, or like a personal blog mm-hmm. when you're signing NDAs and mm-hmm. when you're, you know, when there's lawsuits, oh, yeah. you know, that pop up from time to time with mm-hmm. different companies that you're working with. Mm-hmm. And so you can't put stuff out there. Yeah. And then, you know, 
I just, I mean, in any industry, there's going to be a ton of borrowing. And I, I try not to use the word theft too much because it's mm-hmm. such a hot button word. And, and I mean, there's there's reference and there's, you know, creating an homage and that's something widely accepted. And there's, a, you know, a lot of a positive exchange that can go on between like, hey, I referenced your stuff and I love it. And like, mm-hmm. oh, great, cool. You know, make it better, whatever. Mm-hmm. Make it your own. And I love that. That's one of the things I love about tattooing so much is taking old flash and then contemporizing it and... And it's a tradition, you know, in my opinion, uh, my humble opinion. Um, but, um, you know, going off from that, I mean, just, you know, kind of beginning, of, you know, with where we were starting in the conversation with all the projects that are going on right now. I mean, I've I've got so many stories and so many other things in the works right now that I had to put under wraps yep. because I'm like, well, this this idea is not done yet. I'm, you know, planning on pitching this. I can't mm-hmm. do teasers yet. And there's just I have such a huge inventory of hundreds of drawings that yeah. I would love to put up, but they're just kind of sitting waiting for that right, you know, arena to get either funding or gosh, who knows what patrons, company, something or other. Mm. Um, well, there's Patreon too, which is like, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people have been telling me about that, but you know, just seeing my own, um, <laughs> my own stamina when it comes to social media. I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't take this on. I'm going to be yeah. really irresponsible. I mean, even Kickstarter, as smart as that is, or GoFundMe, I totally support all these arenas and they're so smart. But I really feel like the only way I could really get something out of these um, these social media, or not social media, but these, you know, funding spaces would be if I was only working on one thing. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I, at this point in my life, I'm like, no, like this, these are my skills. My mm-hmm. skills need to be here and I need to put my energy into these things so that I can generate more income and hopefully hire people to start, you know, managing this other side. And then I can be like, here, you know, here's the flavor. Here's yeah. what I want it to feel like. Here's the language. Yeah. At this it. point, I'm like, I will pay you to do this so I can watch television. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your Instagram? What's your Instagram handle? All right. It's at Catherine Brannick. Pretty simple. So um, Spell it. Yeah. I was just getting there. Uh, <laughs> K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E. Brannick. B-R-A-N-N-O-C-K. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's me. And I mean, if you if you Google Catherine Brannick, I was blessed with a very unique name. And so it's you can find my my website. You can hit me up on my contact form there. You can go to my Facebook fan page. Um, you know, um, whatever other social media, it's usually Catherine Brannick. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm forgetting anything, I think I've got a blog spot, but I haven't updated anything on that in a while. What would be nice predictions? is some of what you're bringing to that kind of DC um, character toy line, Mm. um, that turning into a comic world and something with a little bit darker bent for, I think, I mean, God, we're we're heading into a very interesting political climate, and that means things are going to get darker. So um, that could that could be a good thing. And Mm -hmm. we hope that that does. And so um, I know we're also talking about at some point trying to get... um, the, the man who, who launched that line on the show. Yeah, yeah. I sent him an email. What's his name? Sean Knapp. Sean Knapp, that's yeah, right. He actually got back to me this morning and he said they just have to clear it with the PR department. So mm-hmm. I'm going to check my email again to see if he responded because I was like, hey, cool. All right. Yeah. How do we, how do I expedite that process? <laughs> so <laughs> give him my contact info. Cool. All right. We'll do. All right. So I think we're going to wrap up here. I want to thank you again for being on the show and, um, you know, look for Catherine's amazing work, not just in the, um, the special products line at DC, but her books that she's publishing, um, follow her art career. We've shown her at La Luz de Jesus Gallery. I'm sure we'll show her again. Um, a lot of different types of work, um, from what we, we kind of touched a little bit on the ballpoint pen stuff. That's what I thought when I first saw it, reminded me a bit of James Jean and is its own thing. The other body work with the with the painting that you've been doing lately has this interesting kind of early seventies European sci fi feel mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I you know you won't be disappointed. So again, we'll wrap up another episode of Pod Sequentialism. I have been your host Matt Kennedy, and uh, look forward to uh, your feedback and thoughts on the subjects that we cover. And again, urge you to follow um, Gallery Thirty South, which is Gallery the Number Thirty in South. Um, La Luz de Jesus Gallery, which is L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S. And, um, of course, Meltdown Comics and Collectibles and the Panic Collective, P-A-N-I-K Collective. And um, over and out. Bye. 
Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many, many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole. It's not. Um, you can, If you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.